Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Ah, yes, settling into the chair, the big man chair, for another week right here on the program. Ramya Muthan, she's at main campus in Toronto at AMI. Good Monday to you. Good Monday. I've been hearing all day that I'm doing very well for a Monday, and I, I would agree because so, of all the sleep I got. Hearing? Who, who, who's the chatty people telling you that? Chatty people? Yeah, you said hearing so well that you're doing good for a Monday as if somebody come up, hey, whoa, you're doing good for a Monday. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it's just because, you know, the energies are usually a little more... Sluggish? Mm-hmm. You're a little more drained, even though Default it is a first energy, day yeah. of the... What day are you least drained? Friday. <laughs> and that's Isn't that just an looking obvious forward? answer? Yeah. I don't that's know. Just, that's just because it's the last day of the work week. I'd say Thursdays are pretty good, too. Some people yeah. make sure you know they're ready for their Friday, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're oh, yeah, oh, class Friday. I'll get out of here, get some rest. Yeah. I get rejuvenated over the weekend. That, that, that's the way some people look at it. Others, you know, they're just so happy. The week is done. And, and they yes. come in Monday. And Different they're reasons all, to love Fridays, yeah. Yeah, but some people come in Mondays. They like it. And then, and then the week starts going downhill as everything yeah. starts piling up or, or all the demands of the week get a hold of them. But the rejuvenation uh, is important, though, because if you spend Monday to Friday working, like that's our regular regime, right? at least for you and I, and then uh, if you don't recuperate to some degree on Saturday, Sunday, mm, it's tough coming back into a full week again. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I mean, um, in the days when we did remotes and we would sometimes be on a remote on a weekend, uh, we usually took another day that we would have as an off day. But sometimes that couldn't happen on the Monday. If you were doing a remote on the Saturday, you'd have Sunday off. But then just sometimes there was other things you might yep. have to, you know, you'd want Friday instead yeah. or something like that. At least uh, a so couple it, hours. It could be tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see what's coming up, folks, over the next couple hours here on Kelly and Company. Well, Mr. Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone podcast, he'll be here in a little bit with his uh, weekly sports update. On Healthy at Home, which is a show airing on AMI-tv, fitness instructor Bobby Jensen guides us through a workout that tones and strengthens for everyday living, and we're welcoming Mm. Bobby to find out more about it. Leanne Barda joins us for an independent living skills chat later on in hour two. Today's topic is the expanded core curriculum. We've spoke about it on the show. We'll get into some more things you need to remember about that later on in the program. Uh, a couple of recalls I've got here, folks. Let's start with uh, M&M Food Market brand. Uh, these are the prime rib uh, beef burgers that are being recalled. Uh, this is being uh, recalled due to undeclared gluten and wheat. And also on the list here we have K Fresh Fresh Produce brand Anoki Mushrooms. Recalled due to, and this is this is one to take note of, folks, important, uh, Listeria uh, Matasana genes. Uh, so you do want to return that, not, not certainly not eating that or just chuck them out, whatever works best for you with those Anoki uh, uh, mushrooms. And again, that's the uh, K Fresh Fresh Produce brand. 
Ramya, would you tell us a little bit, as we want to remind people, we're a couple of weeks away from reviewing our book of the month. Yes, we are. Last Tuesday of the month, join us for the book club when we talk about and review The Aristocouch, The Long Run of the Wild River. So this is a book uh, by Philip Lee, recommended to us by Greg David in our communications department. It is available in synth audio on Sela, so if you can find it in human narrated on Audible, that's awesome. Uh, it is available there. The Aristocouch River flows through the remote border region between the provinces of Quebec and New Brunswick. It's magically transparent waters, soaring forest hillsides, and population of Atlantic salmons, uh, salmons, creating one of the most storied wild spaces on the continent. In Aristocouch, writer... Philip Lee follows ancient portage routes into the headwaters of the river, traveling by canoe to explore the extraordinary history of the the river and the people of the valley. They include the Mi'kmaq, who have lived in the Ristikosh Valley for thousands of years, the descendants of Franca Canadian, Irish, and Scottish settlers, and some of the wealthiest people in the world, who for more than a century have used the river as an exclusive wilderness retreat. So, there's a giant uh, amount of stuff being explored. The people of the Resikosh have long been both divided and united by rec- the remarkable river that each day continues to assert itself despite local and global industrial forces that now threaten, sadly, its natural forces and the survival of the salmon. So we're going to talk about this book, like I said, on the last Tuesday of the month. There are a lot of questions to explore We'll do that with Greg David on September 27th. If you have comments about this book or further recommendations for future book clubs, send it our way. Feedback at ami.ca is how you can email us. And then via the phone, leaving us a voicemail is one 509 I'm anxious to hear what Greg says was his reasons for, for suggesting this. I, I think if we hadn't done a voices segment with him, I, I would have no inkling. I thought, I'd think, what the heck? Really, Greg? Mm. But we know he's very interested in, in, you know, Canadian history, but geography is something he has really taken with. And this one, uh, I, that's the component I like. There's a lot of things spoken about so far as, as I navigate through the book uh, that I found very interesting and that historical time. It does a lot of jumping around back and forth. So you fill in the, the blanks, folks, but it's it's really great. I want to get into this here for those who are thinking about getting out there and heading to Europe. Tourism has rebounded, bringing long lines, flight cancellations, and soaring prices for hotels and taxis. Paris, Amsterdam, Vienna, Rome, and others are hugely popular, but often you can get a better feel for a country's culture in smaller cities with lower prices, like France's third largest city, Lyon, and Austria's second largest city, Graz. That from Liz Weston of NerdWallet, who also says rethink summer travel. Spring and fall are typically cooler, cheaper, and far less crowded. And get to the most popular attractions when they first open. Escape from the heat in the afternoon and go out again when it's more pleasant. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. So all really useful things to know when you travel. I I think these are kind of interesting pieces because so many people have destinations they want to go to and a lot of time it's for particular things. But if you're not so into that and you don't mind, hey, I just want to go and see what the place is like. And and if you can get out to those smaller places, a little more tricky for, for those of us who have to rely on public transit. But you can certainly, I would imagine, in a lot of places in Europe where transit in a lot of cases is better than what we have in our vast Canada, um, you can probably strike out a little further. Mm-hmm. And I, I do enjoy the 
the fall and spring um, variations of travel and why. The, the why behind that is actually the best part, right? The, the afternoon uh, heat and the cheaper prices and the attractions. I never even thought of that. Pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that's really cool when you know there's off-seasons for things, which then you start thinking, man, you tell too many people. These won't be off-seasons anymore, that's or true. the seasons will be switching around, and you'll be telling them, yeah, go in the heat of summer because nobody else is there. <laughs> awesome. Folks, it's the Monday edition of Kelly and Company. Ramya and Kelly just settling in. Thank you for being with us. Hope you'll hang around. We're here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time weekdays in a moment. With the release of the new iPhones comes the term eSIN. Michael Babcock informs us about this technology in two minutes on Kelly and Company. A little while ago, Rum gave you some ways in which to reach out to the program, folks. Here's a few other ways in case you want to check in what's going on here at Accessible Media Inc. You can like the Facebook page at Accessible Media Inc. All sorts of great stuff over there in which you can either interact or just observe and take in. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. On Twitter, of course, at AMI Audio. If you want to see what's coming up segment to segment on our program, she's also available at All Rams, and I'm at AMI Kelly Mack. Just a few ways in which you can reach out to AMI or right over here to AMI-audio. And we remind you for our show, folks, the first repeat of the program is now at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And in the morning, second one at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show. And here we go with our Tech Talk to start off the week. Let's bring on Michael Babcock. It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles of assistive technology. Michael, we are going to start off where we uh, paused last week on 1Password because there's been some changes for you. So 1Password has been your favorite password management app for the longest time, as long as we can remember. Uh, but with 1Password 8, you've started to look at some alternative options. So what what was it? Was it the update that pushed you? It was. It okay. was. So I, I tried to, you guys know me by now, I like to try new technologies just to just to say I tried it and to get, to get along with it. And for the most part, I was able to get along with 1Password 8 when they announced it back in September of last year. And I was using it just fine. Uh, there were some frustrations, but I was, you know, getting aware around those frustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, there was a lot of feedback from other blind individuals talking about how doing something wasn't accessible. For example, getting your password out of your password manager. I don't know, something you might want to do. Uh, so that that was problematic. And uh, I had never tried it on iOS because I have my iPhone set up to just autofill it. I, I hardly ever went into the application. Uh, then a listener of the show and a friend of mine, Jeff, made a comment to me and he said, hey, so how do you copy your password out of your, out of your one password? How do you get data out of there? And I said, uh... I don't. I yeah. just fill it in. Like, I, I didn't even think about it. And he goes, well, you should go try 1Password 8. So I tried 1Password 8, and I was very disappointed. 
Mm. Uh, I've been paying 1Password since 2017, uh, so not as long as some users, but I've been paying for access to it for a while. Uh, and when I when I got access to 1Password in September of last year on their beta, I said, oh, this is an Electron app. They'll, they'll get some of these fixed. For example, the fact that I can't copy my password on Windows, but I can still fill it in. Mm. Uh, I have to go edit the item, which causes a potential for errors because if I accidentally type a character while I'm editing it when I meant to just copy and paste my password, uh, that could cause issues. And so ultimately it just became a struggle and it wasn't ideal to deal with. And of course there's other blind individuals out there who have experienced the same thing. And the response from the company that produces 1Password has not been very positive. Mm. And I will say, uh, I pay. I try to pay annually for software because I hate coming down my bank account every month. So uh, I am paid for 1Password through May of 2023. And if things don't change, I will not be renewing. It's interesting because I love how you work with something, you mess around with it enough. Like you say, some people, that they mess around till they break it. Like you find Mm -hmm. the things that, hey, this is not working. And it may be for the needs you have. It may be an overall uh, something wrong. So... What is an alternative tool that you might want to look at or we might want to that you're looking into? So uh, accessibility on Windows and iPhone are essential for me. I would love it to be accessible on the Mac and I would love it to be accessible on Android. But in order to work for my workflow, I need to be able to use it on iOS and Windows. Mm-hmm. So one of the tools that a lot of individuals have suggested is Bitwarden. Bitwarden comes in two models. You can pay, I think it's $10 a year, substantially cheaper than 1Password, just throwing that out there, uh, for two users, or you can get a higher price plan for a family of up to six users. Bitwarden also has the ability to host your own syncing service, so you don't have to worry about paying them if you want to handle the technology behind that. Uh, They are available on iOS, and the experience seems to be very pleasant on iOS. It also is an Electron app, but you can see your password data, and you can copy it and do what you need to with it. Windows is a similar experience. I haven't put any of my password data in there yet. Uh, I, I was going into manually putting some data because uh, exporting your data from 1Password to Bitwarden for me seems to be a little bit more involved than I initially had thought, but I think I did something wrong. So, um, you know, take that with a grain of salt. All right. But uh, <laughs> one thing that I did realize that is super nice about uh, Bitwarden is the fact that you can generate usernames. How many of us use uh, Kelly M or, or Michael mm-hmm. B as mm-hmm. our usernames and don't think about having a unique username? Right, Which right. unfortunately... Uh, is is something that could help you. Well, unfortunately, it's, it's not thought about, but it's something that can help you with providing a more secure experience across different services. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely true. And even with the password side of it, you know, for, for those of us who are just using uh, the Apple system or ecosystem, we can you know, lean on the native, right, like the uh, keychain and things like that. Um, but if you're talking cross working between iPhone and Mm -hmm. Windows and everything else, you do have to explore. You might get to the point where you're like, I really want to explore um, because I'm not satisfied. So so for those who don't know, one other additional thing with the iCloud control panel on Windows, it has been a lot. It has 
it's a lot more easier to use now than what it has been in the past, especially with JAWS. And uh, Apple does allow you to sync your iCloud passwords to Windows and use them in browsers and Windows. Mm -hmm. uh, Android is, is the gotcha for me and why I'm still looking at third-party services. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's good because then you keep us posted and somebody else learns. <laughs> so keep moving and we're going to talk about the latest top tech tidbit. So the poll results were released. What was the question that users were asked this time? around and what did we learn yeah so this was an opinion poll and they were asking as a screen reader users when you encounter an image that has no informational value such as a spacer or a decorational image what would you personally prefer your screen reader to do and i thought this was interesting because mm. there was a total of 169 participants and um uh, 76 votes, so 45% of the uh, individuals who participated stated that they would like the alt attribute to be included in the image. And an example of this would be an alt tag that says decoration. Uh, wow. And the second most popular was no alt attribute with 51 votes or 30% of the clicks. Wow. Uh, and then include the attribute, uh, but leave the alt text blank. So you know there's an image, but you don't hear any details about that image. Uh, gave us 25% of the votes as well. Interesting. And, and that, that was interesting to me yeah. because... I personally would prefer no alt tag. That way I don't even know the images there unless it's providing value to me personally. Uh, but I could see why it would be helpful for others to have the yes. details about the image itself. Sure. So question, sure. follow-up, if you mm -hmm. don't hear anything at all, when you navigate, you know, element by element, are you still hearing the blank element? You would probably, with most of the screen readers now, hear image or graphic, right, exactly. but not necessarily know that it's there, unless it's a background image. And mm. and a lot of times, we as blind users, they do some web development, don't even know that there's a background know. image right. behind the text. Yep. I, I wonder if this is, especially people who, in more cases than not, just find that busy stuff that, that adds nothing mm -hmm. to, like you said, Michael, unless I actually needed to know that. But in, you don't necessarily know you need to know that. And then people who have been able to see enough or can say, well, no, that's vital to me. I think that's a really interesting poll. It is. It is. And and uh, just a reminder to listeners, if you get the top tech tidbits, you know, uh, the, these polls just give more data for people to use and, and help with a better experience. So if you have the time, click the link. It doesn't take about 30 seconds to uh, share your opinion. With the release of the new iPhones, a newer term is being thrown around. What is ESIN? Am I saying it ESIN? And how would I know, Michael, if it's supported by uh, by my phone carrier? Sorry, you were saying it. Is, how do you say it? Yep. E-SIM, S-I-M. So right. uh, e it stands for Electronic Subscriber Identification Module. And uh, the SIM card, we may all be familiar with this, mm -hmm. is that little tiny card in some phones, slightly bigger in others, that you use to authenticate the fact that you are paying your carrier and you have the ability to make phone calls with your network. So SIM technology has been around for decades now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there has 
hasn't been much change to the technology because it just typically works. You pop the SIM card out of one phone, put it into a new phone, you're able to switch back and forth, and uh, you're able to use your phone. Right. But with eSIM, uh, Apple took on the 14 line of phones in the United States the SIM slot out of the phone because they say most users would prefer to use eSIM. And in the U.S., the three major carriers are supported. In Canada, it looks like supported uh, carriers for eSIM is Bell, Virgin, Lucky Mobile, Rogers, Fido, uh, Telus, and Kudo, I think is how you pronounce mm -hmm. this other one. Mm -hmm. And so they all support eSIM, and eSIM allows you the ability to quickly switch your number over to a different phone if you're using a phone that's an iPhone XS or greater or a Pixel 3a in greater, and uh, it allows you to switch your number over there. And great for people who are traveling if eSIM is supported in the country you're traveling to because then you don't have to go buy a SIM. Or my favorite fact is if I decided, like we did earlier this summer, to switch from uh, T-Mobile to Verizon to AT&T, uh, you can make that quick switch real fast <laughs> with just doing eSIMs and not have to worry about going to the store waiting for a SIM card in the mail. Right. Nice. Oh, very good. Um, is there like a note for people who are switching to eSIM or who have no idea how it works? Like, is it just an easy, you know, mm. plug in a number? So that's the problem with eSIM. With a SIM card, they mail you a SIM card and you put in whatever size fits into the yeah. slot and you're good to go. With eSIM, there isn't really a standardized way of being able to get the SIM card on your phone. I've seen it where you go into the settings and you sign into your mobile phone provider and then you download your SIM card right there. Oh. I've seen you've had to download a special app to get your SIM card or scan a QR code or go to a web page. So it's kind of a mess right now. Hopefully with Apple releasing the iPhone 14 with only eSIM support, this will be a little bit cleaner in the future. But yeah, uh, there, there is no standards mm. to it. And other one is, especially with your mobile virtual network operators or your smaller carriers, um, seeing if those carriers offer support for eSIM, which is going to be very important for people on the iPhone 14, because they're going to be required, at least again in the U.S., to go with a carrier that does support eSIM and doesn't just send you a SIM card. Right. Michael, we got just a couple, like a minute or so left. A new survey is asking people what websites are doing accessibility the right way and what ones are doing it wrong. So how can people fill this survey out? Yeah, they can go to welcomeally.com, and it's a really simple process. Just fill out the survey, and uh, the information will be used in order to help uh, website manufacturers know how important accessibility is to the end user. And again, it's welcomeally.com. Amazing. And we'll continue to chat about Welcome Ally because I think that's a really brilliant idea uh, and website. Talk to you soon. You guys have a great show. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Michael Babcock joining us on Mondays for our Tech Talk. You know, it's always amazing what things are being developed, Kels, that you just might have no idea about because you're not even thinking that far ahead or that deep into your technology like the eSIMs, right? Yeah, yeah. well, with the eSIM, fascinating. And again, I get think when Michael was running down the list in the States and here of companies, you start thinking, oh, well, of course, this company's connected to this company, to mm -hmm. that company. So you start thinking, wow, how broad that is. That's 
probably a really good thing. But there are still a lot of companies smaller that are on the side that we may not be thinking about. And someone says, oh, I want to jump to that company. And it may get prohibitive to them. But I guess you start really thinking about what your needs are, what you want. But as Michael said, it's kind of a bit of a mess right now. So uh, interesting to watch how this goes. We'll step aside for a moment, folks. Coming up next, Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone brings us our weekly sports update right here on Kelly and Company. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, hosts of Kelly and Company. And we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Maybe you're checking us out over there at uh, AMI.ca, listening while you're doing your work from your computer. You can stream the program. And, of course, you can find us, TuneIn Radio and OOTunes, a couple of great apps in which to put on your smart device to take in the program any way you can, especially if you have to run around. We'd love it. Love to go with you. Always like to be moving around and about. Take us with you wherever you go. TuneIn Radio. OO Tunes, a couple of great apps in which you can enjoy once you download them to your smart device. Kelly and Company on the road. Well, uh, the, on Mondays, we, we always talk about the diversity in the program. It's time to switch gears from tech over to sports. Let's welcome in the host and producer of the Neutral Zone, Brock Richardson. As a former athlete, I eat, sleep, and breathe everything sports. I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action. He's a busy, busy fellow, this guy. Brock, welcome back to the show. Where do you want to begin? Let's see what we got here. Uh, let's talk about your leadoff. So I have two leadoff items for you. The first one is that... We learned uh, later on Friday that the San Jose Sharks and Evander Kane have come to some kind of settlement. What that nice. settlement is, I'm not exactly sure because, of course, they're hush-hush. And Evander Kane uh, filed a, an action against the Sharks basically because they, in his mind, wrongfully terminated him. And the Sharks are saying, yeah, but you violated COVID protocol with the you know, the fake vaccine card, right. all those things. So they have come to an agreement. Uh, the San Jose Sharks released a statement basically saying, if you're a San Jose Sharks fan, don't worry. It's not going to affect our on-ice product. It's not going to go against the cap or anything of sorts. So that's that information there for you. Because they would uh, still have to honor contracts? Uh, yes, I believe so. They would still have to honor it. Yeah, but again, paying Even out the settlement. he's gone against the league and team's policy. Yeah, but I, I pay, paying out the settlement. Or, or uh, uh, yeah, paying out the settlement is something that may get them sort of away from that because they might have said, here, take some money and just go away over there. Mm-hmm. Um, because both both parties agree that one side or think that one side's done wrongdoing and the other one thinks the other one has. And so it's this constant push-pull game of, no, it's your fault, no, it's my fault. And so it was basically, here's money. I assume it was money. Uh, here's money and go on about your, your business with Edmonton, yep. um, okay. basically. Uh, secondly, I will tell you that uh, the Davis uh, Cup is basically like tennis's version of a World Cup. Mm-hmm. So 
they uh, got into their beginning of the finals, and we had um, OJ Aliasim and Vashik Pospisil uh, joining forces, and they took on South Korea, Spain, and Serbia. Of that, they won uh, every game except for two, one of which they had to retire. Uh, Vashik Pospisil had a lower leg uh, issue in his last doubles game against Serbia, but by this point, it didn't matter because they had already solidified their spot in the quarterfinals, which will weirdly take place at the end of November, as this is one of the weirdest tennis tournaments scheduling-wise, but it's all due to events that surround it and perceive it, and afterwards, it's, it's just a mess. But know that Canada will advance to the quarterfinals, and that event will continue in the end of November. Kind of tough on Canadians when it comes to health with tennis yes because they're expected to play uh so many events in in such a short period of time right uh both both of these gentlemen came off of uh you know playing the u.s open and then you're basically jumping on a plane and playing the davis cup oj aliasim was a late ad um vashik pospisil seems to be always committed to canada uh it's the others that you can't always get committed but they seem to have a good turnout, and I look forward to seeing what they'll do in the quarterfinals, and their opponent will be officially announced closer to that tournament as we get there. Brocky, the Phoenix Suns have been in the news lately, and it's not necessarily for a good reason, so let's take a listen to this clip to give us the background and then uh, discuss. Suns vice chairman and minority owner John Naftali says the owner of the franchise, Robert Sarver, should resign after the NBA slapped him with a one-year suspension and $10 million fine following a 10-month investigation that showed the Suns owner had used racist language, made crude and sexually suggestive comments to employees, and had bullying tendencies. Najafi says there should be zero tolerance for lewd, misogynistic, and racist conduct in any workplace. NBA commissioner Adam Silver said the punishment was the appropriate penalty. Lakers star LeBron James and Suns guard Chris Chris Paul said on social media that the NBA sanctions on Sarver didn't go far enough. Todd Ant, ABC News. Let me go uh, back to what Adam Silver said and that the punishment was um, what it was and sufficient. Uh, I think where Adam Silver is coming from is because this is the biggest punishment that the ownership agreement can be in a case like this. And so a lot of criticism is coming down from NBA players, other teams, basically suggesting it wasn't enough. I personally don't think it was enough either, but under what their bargaining agreements are, this is about as good as it can get. When you have a situation, and I'll try to put this as you know live radio friendly as I can, when you have a situation where you are asking males what their grooming habits are in certain areas of their body, uh, that's not appropriate. Um, it, it's just under no circumstance is this appropriate. And bully-like tendencies, again, not appropriate. The things that he said, uh, just not appropriate. I, I just don't know, guys, when this is going to end this conversation. And I, I'm not even sure that it will ever end to the point that we would all like it to see it end. But it's just so disturbing, some of the mm-hmm. things that I've read and some of the things that have been pointed out to players. And remember that some of these owners can not only be fathers to these athletes, but some of them are old enough to be grandfathers. And so 
for me, I just, I, it's very, very, very disturbing in all of this. Rumi, I heard you kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah, one. it definitely is disturbing. And it's something that I think is just historical. You know, we've uh, had the sports quote, you know, generally overall be what it is. Um, this whole, you know, masculine mentality of how men behave on and off the field, but especially in sports and what it means and how you talk and how you act and how you throw your weight around as as uh, people involved in, in this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, none of this stuff uh, adds up to be valid or an excuse to behave the way that you do. So action is something and i think that like you said it's when is it going to end i have no clue and the thing is when you're changing the whole spirit of sport and that when we look at sport what do we think right like what do we what do we um uh how do we believe that people are behaving and acting and speaking and all of this stuff is going to take a while to change Brock it's not something that can happen overnight or over a course of a season or two or you know now that we're implementing hey strong action no misogyny and no lewd and behavior and no uh kind of bullying happening here great now we have to work with that in action for a very long time before it becomes the new norm sure yeah it um it makes me wonder if people around the leagues, out there, fans, whoever, think because of what happened with the Clippers, the same thing applies, Brock. And I'm sure that's a valid question where the owner, when all those indiscretions were being done, things that were being said, the proof that came out of so much of that, you border on the same thing. And, uh, yeah, I I don't want a person like this owning a team. I don't want a person like this having access to employing anybody because obviously – this individual has a problem because it's it's a it's it's known on planet Earth. You just don't say these things. You yeah, want to think whatever you think. Nobody can get in your head and stop you. You should want to do that yourself. And and it it sort of leads into our our, our next sort of topic. But I, before we get there, I just want to say like coaches and people that are in higher places of authority are. As a, as a former athlete are, are people that you should be able to respect. You should be able sure. to go to and, and realize, listen, these guys are in a position for a reason. And I don't think the Phoenix Suns are ever going to be the same, regardless of what happens with their owner. Because nobody's going to want to go play there because you're all looking, well, what's he going to ask me? Or you know, even like, worse, you think that that stuff is the way that you should be presenting yourself, you know, regardless of yeah. the, the, quote, consequences or punishments, right? You've, you're have you exposed to it so much that you're thinking, oh, well, I guess regardless of what it is, we're, we could behave this way. It's excusable. Because it's growing, any, any idiot can own a team. That's because the growing yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Because growing up, what were we taught? Respect people in authority. Yeah, it's a choice you make. Choose uh, yeah. to disrespect people or respect them. You, it's a yeah. conscious choice. Yeah, it is, um, and it's it's scary. So this today, that is, marks the beginning of Coaches Week for the Paralympic community. Now, as a former athlete, you wanted to carry on a little bit more, and t- let's take this in a positive way. Um, the importance of of coaches. 
the importance of coaches is I have learned some of the most important things, important lessons in my life that I will always cherish. And it's really a matter of believing in yourself and knowing that you have to be an athlete outside of or, or being a person, sorry, outside of being an athlete. And I think mm-hmm. those are the two things that kind of um, kind of stick out to me is believing in yourself and recognizing that you have to be an individual outside of being an athlete. And so there was a uh, an amazing article done on my father who is uh, still involved. In, and I mean, it's hard as an athlete when you're in the thick of it, but to realize, listen, he did instill a lot of the things that, that I, I, I do. And I've had head coaches instill different things. It's those one-on-one conversations, guys, that I look at and I think, man, they actually took the time to spend time with me. And I'm not talking five-minute conversations. I'm talking hours of conversations with these coaches that have helped me shape who I am today, not only in sports, but beyond that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's amazing. Very, very sick. Brock, let's switch gears and jump into the NFL over the weekend, please. Can you give us a little bit of a highlight? Yes. So there was a quite the game between New Orleans and, and Tampa Bay. Uh, resulted in some uh, one suspension of Mike Evans, which has just come out uh, now. Uh, he'll be suspended for one game for kind of taking things a little bit further outside the lines than he should have. There was a little bit more of than pushing and shoving. He literally pushed someone basically at the bottom of a pile, and it just wasn't wasn't very good. Uh, we saw Tom Brady uh, lose his temper. Yet again, uh, this is something that you're. I'm okay if you lose your temper, but you got to keep it in the lines and within the realm of sports. And I wonder if in this game it did or didn't do that. And we've seen that by the suspension of Mike Evans today of the Bucks. Bracky, before we go, let us know what's the latest on the Neutral Zone video podcast being released tomorrow. Yes, so we are going to be uh, carrying on. Uh, with Coaches Week, plus then we are going to be talking about the NFL and a little bit of baseball, all coming up on the next edition of it, which will be tomorrow afternoon. It will drop as a video podcast. And you guys are pleased with your first drop? Indeed. The graphics were unbelievable. It has driven our show up to another level that we haven't seen. So credit goes out to Mark and his team. We're only there carrying out the information. They're doing the heavy lifting of the putting together the, the graphics. Well, we have Mark on the show tomorrow. We'll ask him all about it, how it's gone, the launching, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll learn a lot about that history behind the guy who's behind these shows and podcasts. Thanks, pal. Thank you. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports updates on Mondays. Plus, check him and the gang out, of course, on their video podcast, The Neutral Zone. Up next, on Healthy at Home, airing on AMI-tv, Fitness instructor Bobby Jansen asks viewers and guides us through a home workout. It, uh, of course, atones and strengthens for everyday living. We welcome Bobby to the show to find out more in a moment.
this week right here on AMI-audio. Please catch The Pulse, folks, this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita speaks to Andrea Callan, a Ph.D. student from Memorial University, about her research into the disability memoir as an accessibility device for able-bodied readers. That's The Pulse, Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 Pacific Time, right here, and that's AM, of course, right here on AMI-audio. Also, please remember, the show itself is available as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform and a video podcast as well through YouTube. Ramya Muthan, my co-host, I'm Kelly McDonald. Kel's fall is a very busy time here at AMI and there's always something new going on and we want to keep everybody posted on the content, the initiatives, projects, collaborations, uh, all the above on Monday. So we dedicate this spot to learning about all the different things happening. Yeah. Right now, we're going to talk about Healthy at Home. This is a show airing on AMI-tv on Wednesdays. We'll give you the details near the end of the convo, but Essentially, on the show, fitness instructor Bobby Jensen guides viewers through a home workout that tones and strengthens for everyday living. This sounds really incredible. And so Bobby's joining us now to tell us more about it and discuss the show and her involvement. Bobby, thank you for so much, so much for coming on Kelly and Company. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very excited to talk about your passion for fitness. I think that that's where we should start uh, and where it all came from for you. Oh, goodness. I know, right? <laughs> I've been in the field. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I've been in the field for, oh, over 20 years now. So that passion stemmed from, there, there's two streams I would attribute it to. So one was being told I couldn't having vision loss, um, being a female, all kinds of things. We can't do that. You can't pursue that. And I just thought, really? Watch me. Yeah. This is just a passion for me. I'm enjoying it. And the other thing is actually my husband. So after I had my second daughter, I lost considerable uh, more amount of sight. And I was just, I felt lost on what to do. And he inspired me or I should say took me literally over his shoulder to my first yoga (laughs) class, (laughs) knowing it's exactly what I needed. And that was the start of the journey for me and the growth of the passion and just how good I felt. And I thought, I need to share this with other people. So that's kind of where it it came from. What What was the class he took you to? Yoga. 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 Okay, okay. Amazing quite a motivator when you're told oh you can't do that oh well there's so many reasons why oh. a gym is dangerous for you oh don't watch yourself with this equipment ma'am you're a lady you can't do this um that's very empowering itself isn't it it is and it just i thought you know i don't want to be limited by no. people and, and I'm I bet, set my own and, <laughs> and, and it makes you very careful the it's almost one of the best lessons because whoever you have now that you're working with as a trainer you're very careful, I'm sure, with those words because you would never buy into any of those words. You've heard it. You know no one else would ever want to feel limited, and you can just do what you're doing now and telling people, yeah, don't, don't use those kinds of words. Um, what is your intention, if we may ask, even though I think we probably have a really good idea with some of the things you've said, for hosting this show? To share my passion, to make 
fitness um, accessible. So I get approached with some of the can'ts, the barriers in mm-hmm, fitness. Mm-hmm. And fitness itself honestly comes at no cost, but we need the know-how. We need the motivation. How can I remove some of these barriers? As well as if I attend a fitness class, I kind of, you know, I, I'm listening. I'm How do I do this? So having vision loss is really change my perspective in fitness I want to be able to do it so this way people can be comfortable in their own homes go with their own pace and have everything described to them so they can learn and participate and and share in the joys and the absolute necessity that having fitness in your life brings yeah did you did you isolate pretty early that the fact for so many people who had vision loss or disability, the home is probably that safe haven where you're not going out, having necessarily to learn somewhere, but deal with all the other people moving around. In other words, having all the reasons not to go to a place to do what you could do at home. No. <laughs> and the reason <laughs> I say that is because I am incredibly stubborn and I tried all the places. I did all the things and I thought, you know, there has to be an easier way. And for some people, the gym or the facility, that's their comfort zone. They need that environment, and that's fantastic. This right. can still add by giving them the knowledge. But over, actually, it was the pandemic that really reminded me that sometimes home is is the only place we have or mm-hmm. our office space or wherever mm-hmm. it may be. So yeah. it's it cuts all the excuses that we put out there. I can't get to this. So those pants. (laughs) So it's, yeah, the pandemic really hit home. And see, you've pointed out so many different aspects that I find to connect back to relatability, you know, your own experiences, the reasons why we may say, Oh, I can't work out because I can't get to the gym. I can't afford it. I can't do this or that. Or, you know, the, the, the traveling, the independent part of it is difficult for me, et cetera, et cetera. But you being a member of the blind, low vision, partially sighted community, uh, can you talk a little more about your own personal experiences in accessibility or other things that we haven't touched on already in and how that relates to guiding people with their own workouts um, who are in the community? I think with that, um, because I've tried so many different things, you, you name the fitness I've tried it. I, I kind of threw myself in and tried little bits of everything. I'm going in and for me feeling shame. I've walked into a group fitness class and I should never, no, nobody should ever feel shame. Yeah, but right. not having that understanding. And for me, it was the visual because there was not the auditory or the kinesthetic cues. So the, you know, this is what it feels like, or this is what I felt like I was failing. So I wasn't getting out of a fitness class or a fitness um a workout, what, what I should be, or the accessibility factor. I'm like, there has to be a better way. And I have found instructors and people along the way where I've communicated, you know, this is, this is where I'm at. How can you make this accessible for me? Or here's my friend over here, you know, um, how can we incorporate her needs into this class? And then I just thought, you know, this is this is something that there's a giant need for. How can I assist with my background? So it was it was trial and error and feeling, you know, this isn't the spot for me, but that's that's not how it is. If I want to pursue fitness, 
I just need the supports to do so. So I hope to be that for <laughs> for some of the people watching this show, that motivating factor and giving them that knowledge that over the years I've I've had to kind of fine-tune and go, this is what's missing from this environment. How can I communicate this if you're sitting in a chair? How can I communicate this um, if you have low vision or any type of ability or disability? Yeah. I, I, I've been to so many workouts where I'm like, I don't know what the, what I'm doing here. Or am right. I doing the right thing? <laughs> well, I'm moving. At least I'm doing something, you know, and, they're, and they may even be very well trying to give me the step-by-step in the group without holding up the group. Can you talk a little bit about the kinds of workouts that the show focuses on um, that you have found that, you know, you're able to give that description and guidance and where you feel those, what is important? And I know we're talking all sorts of all body workout um, or full body workout. Uh, so kind of would love the structure of, of, of a show. I took a look at my daily life. I wanted people to get some value out of what they're, they're seeing or doing. And some of the things that I f- have found over the years, trial and error, um, <laughs> what I needed to focus on to make me stronger to function in everyday life and to feel successful and to have that strength. But what were those areas for me? Having low vision balance is, is an issue. So I thought, let's, let's put that in there. Um, I have a guide dog and I use a white cane depending on the day. My, my dog's in the process of retirement. So Mm. if anybody uses a white cane and it's gotten caught in a sidewalk crack and it stabbed yourself in the stomach, Strong abs is where you need to focus. <laughs> <laughs> it's these little things. We're slipping on the ice. Uh, my left side from using a guide dog, I carry more tension. How to prevent overuse injuries of my, my left arm and shoulder. How can I give people something that is absolutely relatable to everyday life? So I took those things and created it into workouts where you can apply it to what you do, sitting, walking, standing, just being. Can you give us or a... being successful out in society. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's, a, it's all compound. Can you give us a 30-second or less um, example of the type of workout where you're thinking of when we think, uh, you know, improving our strength for using the white cane or using a guide dog? Okay, let's see what I can come up with. Um so I just did one the other day. I know my left shoulder takes, I've had overuse injuries over the years. So I was focusing on that. So if I was doing a workout because I'm a guide dog user, focusing on um, building strength in that shoulder, I would start off with a warm up. And in on the show, I will walk everybody through a short warm up. I did shoulder raises. So I would talk you through the benefits and how to do that with or without weight because we are all where we're at. Equipment Mm -hmm. is not needed to gain strength. It's not about what we don't have. It's using what's available to us. So I worked on some shoulder raises. I worked on some bicep curls to strengthen the arm muscles. Now, often we are imbalanced on both sides, or at least I sure am. (laughs) So we work on focusing balance throughout both sides of the body and both types of muscles. Wow. So the right side and your left side (laughs) will be both strengthened instead of just focusing 
on that left arm all the time with, I'm going to use my dog as an example, because that's always in use. We got to make sure we're as equal and strong all over as possible. So those are just a couple of the exercises that I threw into my home workouts. This is great, Bobby. What a great preview for everyone <laughs> wanting to check out Healthy at Home. Thank you so much, um, not only for, for these exercises, but for your background and uh, sharing with us why you picked it up. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure, and I hope you guys get a chance to check out the show. We will. Bobby Jensen is the host and a personal trainer, group fitness instructor, specializing in many types of classes, the host of Healthy at Home, which you can check out Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. In the next hour of the program, Liam Barla joins us for an independent living skills chat. Today was the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II and an official day of mourning in Canada. Danielle McLaughlin will be discussing the uh, significance of the commemoration. But up next, we welcome our newest community reporter, Carol Yipple, to the program. And we'll hear what she's got for us on her report from Vancouver, British Columbia, in a couple of minutes. Rami Amuth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program, and welcome you back, ladies and gentlemen. Always so much fun, Rum, when we hear about different shows on the network and how excited the hosts are, and you, you kind of get a little behind the scenes because every experience for every host doing something on here is so different, and the excitement is always there, so that was really wonderful to hear uh, Bobby's anticipation of what could come next with the program. Yeah, you can really tell why something is important to someone when you have these conversations, right? Like on the show, we get to see uh, Bobby lead these workouts and we get to understand why this show is important to us. But, you know, how how did she come about doing it and uh, why is it important for her to express these things to our audience and the rest of the community and how she relates back to it is so wonderful to get to, into that. Well, it's always fun, of course, uh, a new new voice on the network. We have one, too, today to introduce to you, as a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, new to our program and the position of community reporter out of Vancouver. Wonderful to have Carol Yippel joining us. Carol, welcome back to the program. We had you on as a guest and now community reporter for us when you come on once a month. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to join the conversation. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, for folks listening in, Mondays and Tuesdays, we visit with our community reporters to find out what's happening in their regions across Canada. Carol, your first item, and I'm not sure I'm going to say the the sea correctly or what this part of of, uh, the ocean is. Uh, This is a personal experience, swimming in the Salish Sea. Is that how you say it? Salish Sea. Salish Sea. I think that's... uh... An uh, indigenous word that's renamed the what was the Straits of Georgia. Um, right. So it's the Salish Sea, but it is something that I I love doing and um, have kept up doing even despite cooler temperatures recently. Wow, well, that's amazing. Well. Tell us a little bit of the history when you started, and obviously we're learning that you're you're a, a big swimming fan, or of course knowing, hey man, swimming is the best way to keep fit. Well, it's a little of both, as a matter of fact. Um, I guess I should start at the very beginning, the first time I ever saw the ocean. I was six years old. 
I didn't know how to swim. It was the Atlantic Ocean. I ran right into that thing, <laughs> and it was crazy. <laughs> My dad had to come fish me out. What are you doing in there? But I think I was attracted by the vastness of it and by the sound of the waves and, you know, maybe even the smell. I don't remember, but I only know that that was my first look, and I just never looked back. I always wanted to be swimming, so I did learn to swim. And then I, I moved to Vancouver 15 years ago, and I found the water to be terribly cold in the Pacific, but then I kind of got used to it, and I wow. just felt... Isn't that it interesting, so since most of us would think the Atlantic colder? Uh, what, where were you when you discovered the Atlantic? Were you in Nova Scotia or where? Uh, that was actually in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, yeah, wow. I was born in the States, but, um, you know, I, I think it depends on where you go. Right. And, and of course, obviously, the current and, and what, where it's coming from, whether it's bringing you that warm water. So, okay, you, you, get, into the, you get in out there into, into the, uh, the ocean, in the Pacific Ocean, and it was cold, but you just loved it. You, you re-found it. I re-found it. And I think that, well, I go to the, as far as vision loss goes, I think it's important to say right off the bat that you got to be safe. Uh, you got to go with somebody. I always go to the same place. I always go at high tide when I know I can walk in on the sandy bottom, all those things. But, you know, the thing is about swimming with vision loss is as long as you get those safety things down in the beginning, you don't have to see to swim. <laughs> no. no. No, there's so many beautiful things the feel of the water, the way it, well, you certainly know it'll push you back. If you think, okay, where am I? I got to relax a bit here. And, and it's so wonderful for the body. So when you say that with the cold water, um, assuming that your husband and you both go, is he a swimmer? He's not a swimmer. He, he stands on the shore and waves his arms and makes sure I know where I am. (laughs) (laughs) I have a little bit of vision. I have an inherited retinal disease, but I have some peripheral vision. So he, he's my safety man there. That's good. What gear do you, for swimming properly, what would you say to people in this situation? You say, you know, this sounds so wonderful, especially being uh, low vision. You know, you can't see the waves coming in, or is there anything you've, you've learned to be careful of or concern yourself with? Thanks for that good question. Absolutely. So I wear... Um, a little body suit. I mean, it's not a wetsuit, but it has arms. So it's not a real, just a swimming suit. And that keeps me a bit warmer. I wear little uh, shoes, kind of light rubber shoes that protect against the bottom as I walk in. And I wear uh, tinted goggles. I have some light sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So I use these goggles and they also keep the, you know, salt water out. So those are my main safety things. I understand the sensitivity, and I always used to say when we'd go to the beach up here uh, at Grand Bend or, or Ipperwash just outside of London here where I am, um, that I don't want to go to the one that has the rocks as you go in the water and the hard stuff. My feet get sore, so I, I love the, always love the sand, so I think the shoes are, are tremendous. Um, what do you do to get out? One of the things that used to scare me a little bit, getting out of the water, especially with all the people at the beach, knowing where my family was well that's a big that's a big thing of course and i appreciate you bringing it up so i always go to the very same place and it's not very crowded 
here in Vancouver, there's lots and lots of beaches, and it kind of stretches out to the west toward the university for anybody who knows that area. So I go to the very same one next to the Jericho Sailing Club, and it has this rock jetty that stands out into the water. So I always know where the west is. I can right. see enough yeah. of that to know yeah. where, where I'm getting out. And because I go at high tide, I know there's only about 10 steps to get out of the water. Beautiful. And it's soft. Yeah. So, and it makes you, you comfortable. Know, I, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, these uh, points that you have with landmarking and just understanding yourself in relation to the water are so helpful to hear about because, uh, Carol, I think that a lot of us think of the ocean. Well, I I go into Lake Ontario and then I think um, when I leave and and go into the actual ocean, it feels very, very different. Uh, The fear factor, I think, increases, especially if you're kind of just a mediocre swimmer like me I think I'm a little less than that um and then and so when I hear you talk about all the different things you figured out to keep yourself safe and then satisfied like you can go swimming and really enjoy yourself um it makes me feel like it's possible like people can really find ways to continue to enjoy and not let the fear uh and nervousness of hitting the ocean kind of consume you well, I'm really glad that you, you said that, Rania, because there is there has to be an enjoyment factor that outweighs the fear factor. Yep. And and isn't that true about so many things that we have to encounter with vision loss, you know? How do you get to that? And and how do you pick those things that where you say, Okay, the bang for the buck is so good, I'm gonna make this work. Absolutely. And for yep. me, you know, it's the feeling of being free without gravity and without having to see and the smell and the sound and, you know, the beautiful environment that is Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, this was the thing to, like, grip my teeth and figure out the safety things I could do to make it still possible to do it. Yeah, and that's absolutely the stuff that people yearn if for some, for whatever reason in their own personal journeys, they've had to stop getting into the water, right? That's the stuff that you'd miss so much. So uh, I'm really glad. And we put your your thoughts and your uh, stories about um, swimming and continuing to swim w- along with all those safety tips up on our blog, ami.ca slash kellyco. So I hope people will go out and check it out. Now let's get to the municipal elections in Vancouver because this is coming up. Yeah, that's right. On October 15th, and that's throughout all of BC. There are, in fact, 161 municipalities, as it turns out. And this year, it seems like there's more new people running. There's like more than 3,000 people running, and a lot of people are new. And so even though with municipal elections, I guess we're told that turnout is historically very low, It kind of seems to me like with all these new people and women and uh, young people running, you know, in local elections where, you know, maybe we can make a difference and and make our voices heard for the vision community. So I sort of got excited about it and did a little research. Great. So there are a couple things being um, done to hopefully ensure the accessibility of voting. Is that right? 
That's right for Vancouver. So I want to be very clear now that I'm speaking in this way only about what's being offered in Vancouver. So it seems to me they've done really a nice job at trying to reach out for accessibility. So you can vote by mail in advance. That's what I'm doing. Uh, you got to order your ballot by calling 311, and you do that before September 27th. But you can also go in person, and for five days in advance of the general election, that's October 1, 5, 8, 11, and 13, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you can go to a couple of select locations in Vancouver. One is called the Roundhouse, and one is called Trout Lake. And there they have an assistive ballot. It can either be Braille or they have a sip and puff, and they also have some kind of paddle. I think that's sort of a big button that you can use on those days only, the advance voting days. On Election Day itself, October 15, you can ask for assistance from an election official or you can bring someone with you, and they will allow that person to help you see the ballot. That's amazing. Yep, really, really great. Carol, we're done. Thank you so much for engaging conversation, fantastic information, and welcome aboard. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next month. Loved it. Carol Yapel is our community reporter in Vancouver, British Columbia, joining us one, once a month right here on Kelly and Company with a report, interesting stuff today that she brought to us. Go back, recap, uh, take a look at what she was, t- especially at the end there, the stuff about elections in case that, that uh, uh, hits you, and of course some great tips on jumping into the ocean, having fun swimming, enjoying it, and feeling safe. You can do that at ami.ca slash kellyco where we put up uh, the, uh, the items that the community reporters bring to us. Up next, Leanne Barda joins us for an independent living skills chat. Today's topic is the expanded core curriculum. We'll talk to her in a moment. having an absolutely grand September day as we work our way through the Monday edition of Kelly and Company. We can be found on your TV, by the way, folks. Westman customers, look for us on channel 889 and Bell Channel, uh, Bell Alliant Channel uh, 66 out there on the East Coast, folks. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. I'm Kelly McDonald at the home studio, London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan hanging out in Toronto with us. And we've been talking independent living skills for the longest time with Leanne Bardo, and we've now moved to monthly chats with her on the third Monday of the month. Let's bring on Leanne. I'm Leanne Barda. I'm an independent living skills specialist. And if you have questions about independent living, join me on Kelly and Company for all our tips and tricks. Leanne, we continue to bring up back to school because there's a lot for us to think about when it comes to taking our kids back to school or as students going back to school. And particularly for people with disabilities, um, some specific questions arise like the expanded core curriculum. So if you have no idea as a listener what that is, or if you're just starting to hear about it, Leanne, you've got all the details for us today. 
Yep, I absolutely do. So basically the expanded core is sort of like giving our students the edge so they can compete with sighted peers. So there's nine different areas of it. And each one is helping our students sort of address the areas that um, they need to learn in addition to our regular curriculum like math, science, French, geography. Our guys are also learning different things. So um, we want to give them as many skills and tools as we can to help them be more successful and um, end up being really awesome adults. Mm. So with the, with the ECC, you know, it's a, really, it's a disability-specific curriculum, and it was established by educators of students with sight loss to sort of help them out. So here are some of the nine different areas that are addressed by it. So the first one being uh, social interaction skills. So we know that social development starts immediately after birth and continues throughout our lifespan. So um, we need to give our students the set of knowledge and skills required to interact effectively with others. And we get them to practice in a variety of different environments and cultural settings and school and, you know, being aware of body language and social communication and cooperative skills, social etiquette. There's like so many different mm. things. And if you um, do it right, you won't even know that you're actually practicing social skills. It just seems like well, the way I remember it, it's just fun. We'd be going on trips. We'd be interacting with other people who have uh, blindness or low vision. We're interacting with our schoolmates. We're running, you know, fun mm-hmm. days where others are learning about my disability or something like that. Um, but really, these are all catered to helping us socialize more and do it well. Exactly. So the more tools we give, so essentially like for a young child who doesn't know maybe what's popular, they, you know, it's good to sort of give that information to them. So if you have, you know, let's say the, the all the rage is Paw Patrol and your kid has no idea what Paw Patrol is. So you talk about the characters, you say what the characters are wearing, and then you can say, well, your little friend over there, he's also wearing a Paw Patrol t-shirt and he's got his hair slicked to the side. And this is what, you know, your peers are wearing. So they kind of are aware of, you know, what the trends are. So they're not behind in that area. Um, the next one is recreation and leisure skills. This is a really important one. So we want to promote uh, the enjoyment of leisure activities. So we want to give them uh, cho- choices and different things, how they want to spend their leisure time. So, you know, there's all kinds of really great sports for people with sight loss, especially in Toronto. We have a lot of options, but even like non-specific uh, sports, like you could like rock climbing or dragon boating, there's like a million things. So we want our kids to have as many options as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because then, there's too many things that I know by being back in, in school, mainstreaming particularly, you, you, there were so many concerns, reasons why not to let someone with a disability take part in certain things or group them into uh, groups where maybe we were doing things that were what they felt, well, insurance won't complain about those uh, and we mm-hmm. won't risk anything mm-hmm. and no one will feel left out. Well, you, you do still feel left out. You do still feel compromised. And as we know, the active mind and physical body is absolutely crucial. Exactly. And for our kids, you know, having those physical literacy skills are are crucial. Oh. Well, and, and even what, what did they used to say, Leanne? Hand and eye coordination. Well, you know, whether you're vision yeah. impaired or what, you still need your coordination of your legs, your, your feet, whatever you have able to use, um, you yep. still have to exercise it. Exactly. So the more options we can give them, the better. Like I remember I was working as a special ed technician in Montreal and um, the phys ed teacher had no idea what to do with my students with sight loss. And they'd be like, just take them out for a walk. And right. I would be like, well, why not participate in class like everybody else? 
And he said, if you go do some yoga in, in the library, I'll give them an A. And I said, well, that's not really, <laughs> you know, the way uh, to go no. about it. And um, it was quite an argument with certain teachers. They just didn't get the need for inclusion. It's kinda, so what are it's some sad. other skills? Yeah, I know. It really is. What are some other skills um, that the expanded core curriculum focuses on? Yeah. So this one is a really important one as well. It's called compensatory skills. So they include uh, concept development, organizational skills, communication skills, um, things like uh, speaking and listening, uh, sign language, tactile symbols, braille or print reading and writing and accessing recorded materials. So all of those things are good for student success. So whatever materials and whatever format you need to use to to get ahead in school, you know, you want to have as many of those tools at your disposal and yeah. know how to use them effectively. And learn what works best for you in whichever situation. Exactly. And it takes years to figure that out. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. If you, some people are what we call dual media le- learners. So they can do uh, braille audio or print braille or a combination of all three. So having as many tools at your disposal as possible, you know, it makes it so much better for you. Yeah. And um, options even before you might even consider them skills yourself, right? Like for the longest time, I didn't even want to learn. I mean, this is moving on to the next thing, but the white cane. And then, mm-hmm. you know, eventually when I was ready for it, luckily everyone else, uh, you know, foresaw that I would, <laughs> I would need to learn it. <laughs> right. And, and they were... They yeah, so how could they have figured that out? Anyways, but it was um, great because, like you said, it was mentioned a lot. Um, people uh, around me were already ready to to help in that aspect. And there were all these other O&M skills that led up to it. So as you're saying, the tools and the options and the awareness of it. Exactly. Yeah, so that segues us into orientation mobility, knowing how to travel safely in space and, and you know, learning how to um, go to different places and uh, whether it's inside or outside, having different routes to learn and public transit, so many different like aspects and, you know, mental mapping. There's a whole lot of stuff involved with uh, orientation mobility. And of course, you know, uh, the one that's dearest to my heart is independent living skills. So the ability to care for yourself independently. So it includes personal hygiene, food prep, cleaning, clothing care, money management, technology, all the different, all the things. Uh, Amazing. The next one. The next one would be uh, sensory efficiency, so learning to use all your senses, so including functional vision, hearing, touch, taste, and smell, and assistive tech, which has become much more of a thing in the last uh, 10 years. So learning to use your computer or other electronic equipment to function independently and effectively at school, work, and home. And our last two are our career education, and this one I think is also really important, is self-determination. So that enables students to become effective advocates for themselves based on their own needs and goals. Yeah. Again, you know, you always think about um, some people are are able to advocate for themselves. Some people are able to figure these things out and say, hey, you know what? It would help if if, if we did things this way or no, that's not right. Or this is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Some people can do that. And some people can get away through life if they're not so comfortable with it. But I've always Mm -hmm. felt bad because as a disabled person, you have to teach people how to teach you, to support you and help you. It's mm, it's the only exactly. way, which is knowing yourself, but also being able to speak up. And we don't always feel like doing that, Leanne. No, exactly. Especially having to explain, you know, the general public is always not the most tactful. And they may say, you know, why are you blind? Like, what caused that? And, 
you know, you always have feel the need to have some sort of answer. And the truth is you don't have to, like, you don't have to disclose all of your medical things to this random stranger who asked you on the bus, why you use a white cane. Right. So having the ability to say, you know, that is a great question, but I don't feel comfortable disclosing, but thank you for asking. Yeah. And if you're a talker, if you're okay with, but you have to learn how to be able to judge that. And as a, as a youngster, you sometimes you feel like uh, I better answer. This is somebody older or somebody I don't know. What if they get insulted, offended, or I, I don't need a, so it's a lot of life experience to learn. Uh, what about the barriers that are there when it comes to uh, instruction by parents? This can be really tricky. Yes. So often parents are afraid of what they don't know. And so they try to often will shelter or will, you know, do things for the child and not allow them to do it because it takes too much time. And they'll say, oh, well, they have enough problems. So they don't need to do chores. And, they, you know, it's, it's fine if they don't help out at home, but it's really not. Um, mm. All of those uh, chores are, you know, the first thing for their, a child. And it's like their introduction to the world of work. And they're learning organizational skills. They're learning to have, you know, to start a job and complete it properly. And like, there's so many different things that these, you know, early chores will lead to um, down the road as an adult in the working world. So we want to have parents um, obviously very active in the education of their children. And we want them to model the behavior that we're teaching and not, you know, provide everything like the magic fairy who says, Oh, I want a sandwich and boom, the sandwich just appears out of nowhere. Yep. Mm -hmm. The modeling part is honestly one crucial thing that we, you know, often don't speak about out loud, but it's so important to acknowledge it and be conscious of it because, you know, if you're, we understand that there's so much anxiety around, like if you're a parent who has a child with a disability, there's so much anxiety around that changes uh, things that you need to come to terms with yourself. But the thing is the way that you respond and react directly correlates and impacts with the way that your child is taking on life, period. Right. And exactly. And this is why sometimes we're seeing 18 year olds who have never even made tea in the microwave for themselves or served their own cereal. Exactly. And so it's great if your kid's on the honor roll and they're getting, you know, scholarships, but they, at, at, you know, school is one thing, but if they can't cross the street or make their own lunch or interact with peers in a work environment, then mm-hmm. the grades don't matter. Exactly. Leanne, we just have a couple minutes left. What else do you want to squeeze in? Okay, let's see. So um, I'm going to do a couple of the practical hands-on learning. So some of the things we can do to enhance our Um, Our children's environments would be to provide accessible labels in the environment in the child's chair, um, table, cubby, and any location where print labels are found. So um, we should be using the child's preferred format, so large print, braille, objects, tactile symbols. And at home, you want to label the rooms in the house, the light switches, the controls, the appliances, anywhere where print would be found so that they're interacting with whatever medium um, all the time so they can kind of check things out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And then, of course, you know, um, different things for math. So using different kinds of manipulatives for young students gives them tangible objects to relate to a number's meaning. So for some students uh, with visual impairments, you can use things like these little plastic bear counters, math blocks, bingo chips, an abacus, uh, base 10 blocks, anything that's going to make math kind of come alive and make sense. Right. Um, I've used things like wiki sticks to make a graph for, for some clients, or I've made fabric paint uh, uh, tables for people just so they can kind of get a sense of, of what's what. 
Um, cause I know math with visual impairment, especially with all the graphics can be oh, very boy. challenging. Nice. Can we yeah. just in the last 10 seconds, uh, talk about the yeah. take part, take, take part independence challenge. Yes. Take so charge. this is a really, yeah. So this was, this is a really cool initiative, uh, by Robin Keating Clark and her teachers. Yeah. She's in, from Utah school for the blind and every day they challenge their students to do something new. So one day it can be make yourself a snack. The next day would be put braille or large print labels on your spices. Uh, another one would be deny assistance and try to do the task your own that day on your own. And then, or um, use a low tech um, backup option to use instead of your device. So use a magnifier, a monocular, uh, something different than you would typically use mm. uh, technology for. So just, you know, little things you can do every day to kind of bring all aspects of the expanded core together. And for you to keep feeling empowered that's the word thank you so much leanne this has been such a great conversation i appreciate uh, all the information i'm sure everybody else does as well talk to you next month yeah talk to you soon leanne barda is our independent living skills specialist who joins us now on the third monday of the month we'll step aside for a couple of moments folks in about two minutes danielle mclaughlin returns with know your rights Welcome back to the program. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts. Thank you very much for being here. Remember to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form, or if you'd like, listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where you can listen to the audio vanity card tacked on the end of the complete show, or just enjoy settling back while you're doing something else and taking the show in. If you listen to the segments, of course, you may have your favorite contributor, community reporter, or a segment that maybe you came in partway through and want to go back and check it out. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. And if you would, while you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. It's time now, as we do every uh, Monday at this time, to have our Know Your Rights segment with Danielle McLaughlin. Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights. So I generally start the day, Danielle, with my news gathering. Of course, today, coverage of the funeral uh, was was very much forward uh, with the funeral being held for Queen Elizabeth II today, an official day of mourning here in Canada. Can we talk a little bit about this day, what it means for Canadians, and and uh, you know, it, start with things like, is it expensive to give all federal employees a paid day off? Is it worth doing? Well, I think that's an important question. Um, you'll notice that. Only several provinces have made it a provincial holiday as well, a one-time holiday. Um, But the federal government, probably because uh, so many of them went to Westminster to to the funeral, but um, they they made it a federal holiday. So, you know, any of your uh, activities that involve the federal government couldn't be done today because the offices were all closed. Uh, think about how many people work for the federal government. It's quite a few, and giving them a paid holiday is very expensive. And it also means that things that would have happened uh, today got put off to another time. Um, it it really is quite significant. Now, for some people, 
you know that's you know that's just not important the the important thing is to pay respects to the late queen right and also to you know get a real sense of um you know what the monarchy looks like uh, i think that people in ontario for example expected that they would be getting the day off as well and were surprised to find that it was an official day of mourning which meant that you know flags would be at half mast on mm-hmm. provincial buildings um but that people were showing up to work as expected as usual nothing nothing different there um is it worth doing that is really a difficult question you know some people feel that one of the things that holds Canada together is the fact that the queen the late queen was the queen of Canada the current king is now the king of Canada and that whatever party you belong to or don't belong to whatever your ethnicity you know you will understand that the that the royalty the monarchy you know are up at the head of of everything other people don't feel that that is worth doing because um you know they are amongst the richest folks on earth and um that that money didn't come from nowhere so you know where did it come from that's that's yeah. a a really good question now you know some of the it was the smaller provinces that gave um their employees the day off whether you know if that's relevant or not you can decide for yourself but um you know why why some and not others i think it may have to do a bit uh with the diversity of that particular province it may have to do with you know how strongly the provincial government feels about the monarchy um so the, these are questions we're not going to be able to answer and you know now that the day is is coming to a close um i really wanted to know whether the two of you had actually got up at five o'clock this morning to listen or to watch the the funeral because I, I I tend to wake up at five o'clock anyway for some mm. completely unknown reason. I thought, well, I'm awake. I'm going to turn it on, and um, I was I really wondered whether it would have described video. Yes, yeah, so- I couldn't. Yeah, did you find it? No, um no. the the most recent thing I can think of is the I'm not even sure about the jubilee, the 70 year mm-hmm. uh jubilee, but uh it was the wedding of Harry and Meghan that was described by Ira. So it was a kind of a third party yeah. situation and it was uh described and you can stream it and that was quite interesting to watch because of just everything, right? All the different elements from Oh my goodness. Yeah, yes. aesthetic to people to, you know, what goes on. Um but not this one. We didn't hear anything about it. No, the only word I saw on Twitter was BBC is great for covering it. So maybe if people listened uh, or watched on the BBC channel, maybe uh, my understanding is uh, we didn't have it with CBC and I don't know what the others. And again, I'm not 100 percent sure that that's accurate. It definitely wasn't. Um, yeah. I know if the radio was was, yeah. was 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 good. I while working had it on and they seem to be mentioning certain things to the degree of wardrobe and descriptions and yeah. stuff like that. No, no. But more descriptions of area and things like that. Mm. Um and mm-hmm. and and of course, telling us little anecdotes for the music and so on. Yeah, isn't it wonderful that radio exists? I mm-hmm. really, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, I, I'm a big a big fan of the audio. But you know, I did watch the BBC, and I must say, I was mystified because there wasn't enough description because they felt that it was such a solemn occasion that speaking over it would be in some way disrespectful or inappropriate. And I thought, well, that's quite interesting. 
speaking of the whole notion of respect and appropriateness, I'd, I'd like to talk about protests because we know that there have been few, and I mean only few, protests during all of the um, the things that have gone on since since uh, Queen Elizabeth died. Um, in Scotland, uh, and also in England, there were several anti-royals protesters. Now, you have to understand that anti-monarchy uh, protesters probably date back to Henry VIII, maybe right, before that. Yeah. There have, you know, as long, <clears throat> pardon me, as long as there's been a monarchy, there have been people protesting the fact that there's a monarchy. Mm -hmm. There are people who feel that, that it's extremely undemocratic. Um, when uh, Charles was proclaimed uh, king, somebody yelled out, I think they were at Oxford at the time, and I believe the person was a lecturer at Oxford. He, he, he yelled out, who elected him? Oh, dear. Well, of course, kings and queens aren't elected. Right. Um, yeah. He was uh, uh, stopped by the police. Um, he was not arrested, but he was detained for a period of time, a period of time in which he, and I believe he was a lecturer in law, um, tried to explain to the police <laughs> why he had said what he said, how he had the right to say what he said. Um, and this created some conflict. Now, during the time that the uh, Queen's body was in Scotland um, and there was a procession, uh, including all of the Queen's children, uh, someone from the crowd yelled out some um, unpleasantries towards Prince Andrew. You can well imagine what that might have been mm -hmm. about. Yeah, for sure. Um, he was pulled out of the crowd immediately and arrested. Um, another person uh, held up a sign saying, not my king. This was a person who was not violent, was simply standing there. This person also was arrested. Now, we know that one so of the things... Side the police is on. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that interesting? So you have to ask now, if they had actually been disruptive, and there's a really difficult definition of disruptive here. We don't really know what it means. Does it mean any breach of protocol, if it's a, meant to be a silent um, you know, procession, and somebody says something, no matter what the content is, would they be subject to arrest? Or sneezes um, or whatever. Well, I think they'd probably let you sneeze because they'd assume that was non-volitional. <laughs> but the, the question is, if you hold up a blank sheet of paper, as did the person who, who um, yelled out who elected him, um, they the police said to him that if he had written on that blank piece of paper, not my king, as others have done, um, they would have arrested him. And, of course, the first thing anybody who is arrested wants to know is, what for? Yeah. You know, what, what, what are the charges? What did I violate? Why? What are you arresting exactly. me for? Exactly. Because, you know, contrary to the uh, knowledge of, of some people I have met, the police can't actually arrest you if you haven't done anything that's against the law. Right. right. So the assumption is that there is a law here. Well, it turns out that following the... Um, nasty and loud protests in Ottawa this winter, the British instituted some new uh, breach of uh, noise law, uh, laws. So normally municipalities will have anti-noise bylaws, but the, the British actually put into place laws, not bylaws, 
And not only do these laws or can these laws apply to a group of people making prolonged noise and disturbing the peace, it can apply to a single person shouting. Uh, Get and it, out. Right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I was, I was quite shocked to learn that. And it all really depends on the discretion of the police. So we know that, you know, they, they, that they are... Simple. Right. They're, yes, they are. They are their majesty's uh, police. Um, but does that mean that they will not allow freedom of expression? Well, one of the things that police are required to do uh, anywhere in a democracy mm-hmm. is protect people's rights. Right. And one of those rights is freedom of expression. Yeah, right. But so the, the democracy, police, you know, what's really interesting as you continue to deep dive into this democracy seems further and further away and the monarchy because it's the the highlight of what's going on it's like you're you're starting to see you know if you're not a fan of the monarchy get out of here that's the the message that the the police are sending uh at first glance well it sure looks like that Mm -hmm. Ramya. um and i mean one of the things we've learned is is that this funeral was probably the highest security event ever oh, right. in Great Britain. And if well, I look mean, at if the you, people you had there, right? Yes, exactly. All the prime I mean, ministers, the kings, queen, you know, a lot of people. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. all the, uh, most, not all, but most of the, the world leaders were in Westminster Abbey. Um, most of the heads of military, uh, you know, there were so many important people and, and, and they were also just regular people passers-by. I'm sure that you've heard of the queue. And the queue was this long, long lineup of people who just wanted to walk past the the Queen's casket when she lay in state in Westminster. Kilometers long. Kilometers, many kilometers long. And it turns out that in order to even get into the queue, you had to pass through airport-like security. So they weren't just letting you know, anybody who felt like walking past, walk past. They, you know, they had to know who you were. They had to know what you had in your bag. It was going to be checked through. Um, and, and they were very, very careful because, again, this would be a situation where they somebody could have, if uh, they felt like it taken out the entire monarchy mm-hmm. of, of Great Britain. Um, apparently, the people who were standing on the roadsides during the funeral were not being checked. However, there were helicopters and sharpshooters on top of all of the buildings so that if anything had happened, um, you can bet they would have been taken out very, very quickly. All of this security makes sense when you think about who was there and and in such close quarters. But does the clamping down on expression make sense? you know, it's a very solemn event. There's no no doubt about it. We haven't seen anything like it in our lifetimes. But what do you think about people who are choosing this very solemn event to protest the mm-hmm. monarchy? Mm-hmm. What's your, your view? Is is it an appropriate time to do it or is it an inappropriate time? You know, when we think about uh, a private funeral, right, like friends and family gathered around, uh, yes, you... I feel like it would be appropriate if someone were to make a scene for whatever reason uh, for for them to, to be escorted out, right? Because people are mourning. People are not yeah. well. And so in that sense, I can say there is some level of understanding and empathy. Uh, but on another point, for someone who 
isn't saying much. They're they're holding up a blank piece of paper or holding up a, a sign to protest. But are you really going to say, yeah, the noise laws? <laughs> Don't oh, isn't that interesting? It's the, you, it's the only thing you can use, Are you right? Kidding? Well, so they you're going to use that they use to get breach you away, of the peace. right? Yes. And they're using that to yes. get you away, so that that can be thrown out later. They just want you yeah. away from the event. Okay, and let's say let's say we we play the cards and we say, all right, even that's understandable. We're right. mourning. Let's keep this peaceful. Where now are we protesting where we can uh, say what we need to say, express ourselves? Well, well, is- no, not only that, yeah. uh, Ramya, which is a brilliant question, but where can we protest so that we're in the limelight? Exactly. Because, you know, you, you can protest inside your bathroom, yeah. but it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. You need to be someplace, if you're actually an activist, if yeah. you really want to make a protest that, that changes things, you want people to see you and right. hear you. Um, and as my old boss used to say, but not feel you or smell you. So, you know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you need to be visible and audible. So if the police say, well, this is an inappropriate time, what when better time? time? Exactly. Yeah. And and what better time when the eyes of the world yes. are are on on this particular event? So and as we ask know, with every Know Your Rights conversation, Danielle, yes. and then where do we start drawing the line? That's the right. line exactly. gets further, so, and further so away. So you've got a funeral, you've got a procession. Most of us know that that's where you draw the line. Um, and again, how much is someone saying, you know, what are they doing? There are people who are going to do grandstanding that is dangerous and violent. Somebody who is just, hey, that's not my king, uh, who's not even right. directing it at, you know, who, who's passed on. But that king is in mourning. You hope that people say, you know what, there is a, there's got to be a better time and a better, t- there are better times. You may not get the public display, but there are a lot of people saying stuff and, and doing stuff along there. But there are also many people who yeah. are doing it right. Yeah, well, it's a very difficult line. It so, is. you know, you, not everybody, uh, you know, can get media attention because they want it. Under circumstances like this, you would get it if you made a big fuss. But as you say, people are in mourning. Is that really an appropriate time to make a big fuss? I think that we're going to be hearing more and more about whether it's time to get rid of the monarchy as time goes by. They'll give yeah. Charles a few minutes to to, to feel sad before they go after him. Well, I, I think one of the most interesting things and telling things that I, I saw on the news was asking students, should they have had today off? Should mm-hmm. we have the, the minutes of uh, the 96 seconds of, you know, silence Silence. at one o'clock their reactions tell a lot and was very interesting without meaning any disrespect. But of course the question, why? Danielle, thank you. Thank you. That was Know Your Rights contributor Danielle McLaughlin talking to us about the role of the monarchy and freedom and of expression. Folks, coming up next, we wrap up the show and see what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv in a couple of minutes.
Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. It is Kelly and Company, and we're just about to wrap things up for the Monday edition of the program. But remember to check us out via the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Just do a search for Kelly and Company, AMI-audio, Accessible Media Inc. You'll find us, as well as a lot of other podcast content uh, that you can uh, search out, such as The Pulse. We spoke earlier of them and had Brock Richardson on, of course, from The Neutral Zone. So many more that you've heard uh, publicized during our program. Program. That's the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Ramya, anything particular segment that you want to mention or, or say anything about uh, so folks can go back and take a listen? Sure, Kels. Uh, right at the beginning of the show, we spoke to Michael Babcock. And the first thing he brought up on our tech update today was using one password and having used it for a very long time to manage all his passwords and usernames. Um, and now he's looks looking into exploring some other options. You know, price came up there. The value of cross collaboration or, or cross ecosystems. You know, Windows, Mac, iPhone, Android came up in that convo. And really, the the part that sticks with me is why explore at all? You know, why not just stick to what you know if it works for you? There are good reasons, and he points those out. So check it out in the podcast. Awesome, great, yeah, for sure, really great, uh, great stuff. Um, we had a good talk with Brock on sports today and covering off some of the stuff going on with the Phoenix Suns, the ownership, and makes you stop and think about how as much as we say, oh, we're moving forward with this anti-racism stuff. We're moving forward, you know, teaching people not to talk filthy and disrespectful to people. And then you get these examples of what, what do you mean we're not? And we really got into that, uh, had an interesting conversation with him on the segment. So do check that out by subscribing and listening in to the Kelly and Company podcast. Paul Daniel joins us. He's one of the producers over there at Now at Day Brown. You can find their program on the air 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv, also available as a podcast. Sir, welcome back. Hey, Kelly. Uh, on tomorrow's show, our community reporter, Dorothy McNaughton from Sault Ste. Marie, will tell us about her recent trip to Manitoulin Island and some of the experiences she encountered, and also provide details on the upcoming Doors Open event in the Sioux. We'll have Nelson Rakel from Cool Blind Tech providing us with the latest in accessible technology and a tech tip. Andy Frank joins the news quiz crew competing with Karen McGee and Alex Smythe. Dave Brown will be the Wink Martindale of asking questions. You know, Kelly, Wink Martindale, remember that name? Way back oh, when? yes. Old yeah, Wink. <laughs> Only, only people of a certain age will understand that reference, which is kind of sad and funny at the same time. And he'll be joining the news quiz tomorrow and, see, and the, uh, let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the way to do it, isn't it? That's one way, Kelly. That's one way. Yeah, yeah, so true. That's a, that's a, a, an interesting way to uh, to look at it, and it should be quite interesting. So you, did you come up with any tricky question? I know you're well, not going to tell us, tricky but what, well, I have the tricky questions. Mm. The questions that are sort of news that didn't get a lot of attention, perhaps, right. that happened but didn't always get sometimes. Sometimes the obvious news stories, obvious news stories, and some that are not so obvious, but did, but did happen. So nothing on the happen. Queen, I guess? Uh, I try to avoid that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean we all, we're, all, we're, we're all royal experts now, right? Well, it seems like, we've had, like we've had it. We've had we've so had much uh, coverage. I love oh, it. Yeah, I just crash. love how his... The way we can pick the brain of the producer producing for the quiz. <laughs> and find out there's nothing there. Okay. <laughs> you know, if the contestants do it well enough, Paul, 
you get to start getting to understand what may or may not be on the news quiz. Kind of like what I used to do with the round table. Yep. They try to Tools. figure out what, 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 what is Paul's sources for news. Right. right? That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and you yeah. go and just pay attention there, like and then Paul cards. alters it and changes it. Mm-hmm. Right, Paul? It's all, it's all psychological. It's all <laughs> psychological. That's <laughs> uh, a new gaming segment with Paul. Thanks, pal. Best with your head. Take care, Kelly. <laughs> 9 a.m. in the morning. Now with Dave Brown. Check them out on AMI-tv. We're back from you tomorrow at 2. Yes, we are. We'll chat then. Uh, uh, folks, we'll start the show tomorrow when drawing on her own personal uh, uh, experience with the guinea pigs that live with her. Dr. Danielle Johnkind will be telling us all about these pets. On our wellness chat, Francis Wong brings us tips for staying healthy as we move into the fall season. Revolutioner is celebrating their 12-year anniversary in style by breaking their own record and selecting 35 top file uh, finalists when we talk about this year's Revolutionary Awards. We learn more about this with founder and CEO Maria Locker. If you're interested in trying out goalball for fun, join the Montreal Goldball Club uh, community reporter Mathieu Rochette. He'll fill us in on that and how to do it. Also, not everyone feels similarly about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Yang Wang shares tomorrow the wide scope of perspectives that she has found on the subject. And on this month's Voices segment, Mark Aflalo, a man with many hats at AMI, shares his take on loving his work in radio. We'll get into it starting at 2 p.m. tomorrow, folks. Fedora's off to you. Have a wonderful night. On the program, we have that opportunity to learn a lot about things that we may never try. We may have always had the interest, hey, I'd like to experience that. But today I found it so enjoyable to know about swimming in the ocean and how you adapt things, as our new community reporter, Carol Yapel, brought to us. And again, so many things, common sense, you want to be safe out there. But I really love the, de- the dogged of determination that she had that this is something I want to get into doing again, something I want to do. And it is so true how when we want to, we come up with the solutions. Hey, I can't really see that far out there. How can I solve that? Ah, that way. Oh, I don't like the feel of the stones on my feet. I got to be careful. I'll put something on them. Simple as that. The goggles, as she mentioned, because of the glare off the water, other things like that. And I know myself, I've, I've worn goggles when I was swimming years ago. Um, but when you talk about open water and, and the changing environment, great idea, great stuff. I also love when you find someone, Michael Babcock, for example, who will learn about something, try it out. And always we say you mess around with it because you're trying to break it. So in other words, find the faults that you need to know how much you can push something, but where it may not be the exact thing you want because of, though you either move on to something else or again, you learn how to make some adaptations. This is the cool thing with these subjects. And this is, I think for me, a lot of time my takeaway in a nutshell with the segments. Yeah, it's nice to learn all about something I may not know about, but it's also nice to see how people come up with a different idea of how to do something. As they say, there are many different ways to accomplish something. Play with my computer using my screen reader. You know what? To achieve each task, there's a different key command. A couple of them. Multiple, usually. So that whatever way is easier for you to achieve that, you can. And I really find every day that's driven home to me on our show.